It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down An American loser the day I was born Hello, folks, and welcome back to another edition of American Loser. It is the podcast that puts the spotlight firmly on second place. I'm your host. My name's KP Burke. There is a, well, I mean, comedy's back, so I guess I'm still back to being a stand-up comic again in the great state of New Jersey. But uh, it's sparingly, all right? The weather's getting better. There's going to be the outdoor shows. We're going to figure it all out. It's tough. Um, It used to be a couple of years ago that if you played to a room that was 25% full, you would get depressed and be like, why am I doing this? Now, when it's 25% full, you're like, holy shit, sold out crowd tonight. All right? But it is what it is. We're on our way back towards normal, guys. Uh, We're here live at a Shared Universe podcast studio in Eatontown, New Jersey, where Mike and Ming are taking great care of us. I drank a Death Wish latte coffee, so essentially, I'm just going to be screaming this entire episode. Behind the ones and twos, the kahuna has been killed in gang violence again. Third oh. time this year. Um, Man, my heart. I'm going to pour out some of my coffee for him. Just pour out a little bit of coffee on the ground. Ming will come by and clean it up later. It's a, <laughs> you Thanks, guys, uh, loser devotees, will know the voice uh, behind the ones and twos today. Uh, the very talented uh, Mr. Chris Mad Jr. Hello, hello, It everyone. is Chris Mad Jr., right? It is Chris Mad Jr. I wanted to say so, man. And real quick, just plug your band, because I enjoy what you guys do. Oh, thank you very much. My band's name is Serious Matters, SeriousMattersNJ.com, if anyone's curious. We've got a new single coming through as soon as possible. We just released an album in a August. Shows are coming back. I'm playing a show at Red Tank Brewing in Red Bank, New Jersey, April 22nd. It's limited capacity. Get there fast because it is going, going, gone. (laughs) But, dude, seriously, check them out. Uh, Very talented band. And I always support local here because we love the great state of New Jersey. Um, You guys already know what the deal is on this show. Typically, each week, me and my Dilf of a dad will like to cover topics from American (laughs) history. Uh, Some of the stuff that maybe doesn't get covered as well as it should. So, South Beach Larry is down in South Beach right now. He's hanging out down there. He's only got a couple more weeks left uh, on his little vacation before we get him back up in Jersey for the summer. So filling in, who else other than my Italian uncle that married into the family and guaranteed that we eat a little bit better on Thanksgiving and Christmas, Uncle Paulie returns to the show. How are you? Hey, I'm okay. Now, quick question for you. First and foremost, up front, listeners did want to know, are you still working with Cirque du Soleil, or have they served you a cease and desist? Unfortunately, I'm not with Cirque du Soleil any longer, but I am with the Little Top. It's a small circus. I come on right after the elephants, and I'm really cleaning up. <laughs> but you got to be careful, because you can be in deep shit before you know it. It's a lot of fun, though. It's uh, And that's the sad part, too, is that, uh, you know how peanuts, you always feed peanuts to elephants? Yeah, peanuts actually don't really get digested. It's kind of like corn, right? You know, so. you can get shot by an elephant if you were standing behind him after a load of peanuts. <laughs> Different kind of elephant gun right there, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you about this one here today, because this one that we have is an interesting topic. Now, we're not going to be able to go into all the great uh, deep dive minutia of uh, what makes it all work here. And my father, we could not bring him on for this episode because my dad, who is, uh, I mean, one of my favorite people on planet Earth, uh, I love getting to do the show with him. He tends to go and just, he writes a dissertation, essentially, uh, for some of these episodes here this week. So without him in the room, we're actually going to be able to breeze through some of this a little bit easier here. But 
I just want to ask you real quickly. People already know the uh, the title of the episode. We're going to be covering a guy by the name of Mark Felt. Does that name jump out to you at all, Chris? Is he the guy who made the material on the poker table? <laughs> <laughs> yes, the inventor of Felt. <laughs> now, uh, Mark Felt, an interesting guy. You might have known him a little bit uh, by his code name, if you will. He went by the code name Deep Throat. Oh yeah, yeah. So, actually, yes. So he's going to hop in. Uh, there's a it's pretty interesting story here. Obviously, this all ties into the Watergate scandal. But Uncle Paul Petruno, um, when you were growing up in the mean streets of Orange, New Jersey, uh, what was going on in your life around this time frame? This is like 1972. Uh, brushing my afro and trying not to trip on my bell bottoms. It's very true. I've seen pictures. This is correct. <laughs> But off the top of your head, what do you remember? Again, you could have just whatever you think is a memory. You could have a Mandela effect. But what was what did Watergate? What does that uh, stir up in your mind? I think that's when the United States of America lost its innocence. Good everybody, line. Good everybody line. became a bad guy. There were no longer good guys. Everything you saw on the Cowboys isn't true. There's no white hats. Everybody's cheating and cutting. Uh, it, unfortunately, that, it is very much the uh, the loss of innocence there. I know that uh, the movie uh, Platoon with Oliver Stone has that great line that the the first casualty of war mm-hmm. is innocence. And this is definitely this is the time when America had all this promise, and then a lot of we saw what uh, would be considered the uh, um, the skid mark on the, uh, the <laughs> on the, the white underwear that was the United States here. But uh, I'll say this, guys: having taken over sixty college credits as part of a degree in writing from the illustrious Brookdale Community College. I consider myself uh, able to uh, create, you know, kind of interesting content, as what we've proven with almost three years of this goddamn show and all the dick jokes I've told on stage. But if I was given the task of writing a story that even comes close to the true story we're about to tell today, I think, Uncle Paul, I would be shit out of luck, because this one doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? Nobody will ever get to the real bottom of this. All the people that were actually involved... And the secret shit that went on was amazing. I mean, think about it. Computers weren't even around yet. You didn't have a cell phone. And these guys are putting microphones into telephones. This is the good old days before a cell phone when you could just pull stuff off like crazy. Do you know what they used to call that? The shoelace network. Really? Yes, because everyone had a walk to move data. Oh, that's hilarious. Yep. The Shoelace Network, you guys heard it here, right? That might be the name of an album I put out one day, then that's going to be it. <laughs> um, no, this one's good, man. This was uh, it, it is a little bit of a crazy throwback in time, because it doesn't seem like that long ago. Uncle Paul, he's alive here in 2021. Uh, he was alive back then in 1972. And in your life, you've seen all this weird technology, these advancements come up where privacy and being able to pull something like this off. I mean, I don't want to go too, too crazy here, but you know, there is that idea of uh, this, this mysterious QAnon person that was out there, right? Uh, well, this guy was kind of a legitimate version of that. It gets pretty interesting pretty quickly here. Uh, the more you think you know with this story, the more ridiculous it becomes and the less you actually do know. Well, think about this. This is a time when you're trying to get carbon paper off your fingers. You didn't have Xerox yet. <laughs> and these yeah. people were doing amazing tricks. It gets uh, it gets pretty good. There's a couple loser receptions here. Uh, I found no way to tie in the great state of New Jersey, unfortunately. Well, I kind of did, but it's very, very loose. <laughs> uh, this story will involve politicians, burglaries, corruption, pornography, the Washington Post, and an Academy Award-winning film. Not in that order. So, uh, to set the zeitgeist for you folks here at home, June 17th, 1972. All right. I'm assuming who was on the Yankees that year in 72. Oh, Christ. Who remembers? I was drunk most of the time. (laughs) I had two kids to raise. Come on. Also true. Um, 
There was what the Nixon White House would later describe as a third-rate robbery taking place on June 17, 1972. Five men would be arrested. On their persons, which is, uh, it always looks weird to me in grammar, but on their persons was found large amounts of cash, cameras, electronic listening devices, burglary tools, and more. One of the men arrested was, uh, Uncle Paul, what was your uh, nickname growing up as a kid? No, oh, there were several, some of which I won't mention. Pablo, I mean, there was a lot. <laughs> well, I was Mr. Pex of New Jersey because I had big chest, 52-inch chest, 36-inch waist. Yeah, uh, former uh, Mr. Olympia borderline for Spent a Spent a lot Jersey. of time in the gyms and in do- dojos and in dark rooms doing photography. And also adjusting uh, claims for St. Paul Insurance Company. <laughs> And of course, your name is Paul, too, so everyone just thinks that you're I making the yourself the same. From Saint Paul. <laughs> Sometimes you got to set him up. You know the layup's there. It's <laughs> well, this guy, one of the dudes that gets arrested here, he's got a terrible nickname. Uh, his nickname is Creep. James McCord yep. is what yep. he's known as. Creep McCord. I remember that. <laughs> it's it, That one jumps out of you in the history books a little bit. And I always thought the felt guy is the guy who invented belly button lint. <laughs> <laughs> My father convinced me that he had a suit made of belly button lint back at the house. Um, for years, I believe. A little bit too long, I should say. I, I think I probably should have moved on from that one. Um, but yeah, James Creep McCord is actually one of the guys that gets arrested here. Now, the reason why he's one of the names that stands out is that he is a known employee for the current president of the United States, Richard Milhouse Nixon. Fun fact, you know who uh, Milhouse on The Simpsons was My named after? My favorite, most disappointing name ever. <laughs> Milhouse. Yep, named after uh, Richard Nixon, who was the president in uh, this time frame of 1972. And he's actually running for re-election, so he's in his first term. And he knows it's all Millhouse from here, baby. <laughs> this <Cookies>. summer. <laughs> it's all cookies. <laughs> oh, man. Well, it's great because uh, he's running for re-election, and uh, his re-election campaign, uh, Creep McCord, is actually an employee of it. So the fact that this guy's getting caught here, what the hell's going on? Why would a member of the Nixon re-election campaign be attempting to break into a hotel in Washington, D.C.? Well, the soon-to-be infamous Watergate Hotel, you guys should know what this is. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people, by the way, that I was not aware of this, that don't understand that uh, putting gate at the end of a thing is... Uh, a, an homage, if you will, to Watergate, that they just assume they're like, oh, wh- why, why are we saying, why are we calling it Gamer Gate or whatever Gate? You know, it's like a weird thing with that. But yeah, that's what we do here in America is because the scandal is so over the top and, and ridiculous that we attach Gate to every, uh, you know, scandal henceforth. So like Gatesgate. Gatesgate? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Um, now, again, Creep McCord does get arrested over here. What's going on? I mean, uh, why are they breaking into this Watergate Hotel? Well, it turns out the Watergate Hotel is the location of, at the time, the current Democratic National Committee headquarters. So that is the people that are organizing the campaign against Nixon's reelection. So it's kind of weird here that they're trying to attempt to plant, uh, as you were saying, Uncle Paul, microphones and telephones kind of a thing here. Yeah, see what's going on. What's the opposition doing? Well, they're putting a lot of surveillance equipment in there. Now, uh, the big thing here is going to be the crime of wiretapping. That becomes huge. So, and a lot of people don't want to admit that it's still going on right now. I mean, I have a smartphone in front of me that uh, you could say a brand name and I will get an ad for it about 30 minutes afterwards. Oh, it doesn't even have to be a brand name. It can be a nebulous idea. I was talking about uh, uh, high speed internet and Starlink, like Elon Musk's like a, a, a satellite and not 30 minutes later, I have ads out my ass for all of them just like get Starlink get Starlink and I was like something's not right 
No, we're being spotted. We're, now the problem is that now it's being done almost to our advantage. So people are, are looking. But that's the, the definition of an invasion of privacy. Wait till Siri comes to get you. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I always say that about the show Westworld, where you, you see that uh, the people are cruel to the uh, the AI, uh, you know, robots, the the theme park and stuff. And I was like, I'd never be like that. And I remember I've threatened to kill Siri eight or <laughs> eight or nine times <laughs> on recorded media. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Now that I think about this it, this is the FBI. We have you surrounded. I'm not going to respond to that. <laughs> but yeah, so this wiretapping crime—that's going to be kind of the new age crime over here. And these guys are captured with what they believe is the intent for them to plant these listening devices in the Democratic National Committee headquarters. So, like you said, Uncle Paul, they can listen around, figure out what the schemes are going to be. What made it really silly was people will remember that there were Cubans involved in the break-in, and people remember the Bay of Pigs not too long ago in the '60s. True. Uh, there's another tie-in with that one too, because again, this is that crazy point in time where uh, we've set up a government, right? The United States is set up as a uh, executive branch, a legislative branch, and a judicial branch. And those three branches, as designed by the founding fathers, are going to fight—not um, fight with each other, but they're going to keep one another in check. Now the problem is this: now you have these uh, government agencies like the CIA, and uh, again the FBI. FBI plays a huge, huge role in this one. Well, who's kind of keeping the checks and balances on them? What branch are they really following? So everyone's answering to the president in a sense, but there's also a little bit of uh, murky waters here, and that's definitely going to be what we're uh, delving into today a little bit here. Um, Now, two reporters from the Washington Post will be assigned to the story. Do you remember their names off the top of your head, Uncle Paul? I remember they were nobodies until this point in history. Uh, One... Guy, I think his name started with a W, but I can't remember. Yep, Bob Woodward. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Bob Woodward and then Carl Bernstein. Now, typically, Bernstein, that's an what, <laughs> Bernstein. A nice Jewish fella. Yeah, I was um, in second grade with him. That's a, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Woodward and Bernstein going to become uh, a borderline household name, certainly household names for the time over here because of what they're about to pull off. But uh, if those names don't sound familiar to you, you know, uh, you should probably read a little bit more. All right, just a little bit, guys. Uh, loser exists to um, inform the curious right we're not here to educate we're trying to tell some compelling stories these guys have a damn good one uh and they're not quite certain what's going on just yet uh they're not connecting all the dots here it's going to take them about two years uh of non-stop journalism and following up on leads uh, in order to continue to pursue this story information very hard to come by at times but it was starting to seem like the nixon white house uh may have something to do with the attempted break-in and at least at the very very least they certainly knew more than they were saying about it. Because, again, the only comment made by the White House press secretary for the time was, oh, a third-rate robbery took place. You know, some bullshit. But you know, we're, not, we're not wasting any more of our time on that one. This is the point where the news media grew its horns. Could you imagine them investigating Ike? He would have bitch slapped them so quick. <laughs> they would like be still too. spinning. Yeah. Uh, if you look back on it, Eisenhower, as my father has said, my father thinks that he's the most important uh uh, modern president, if you will, because uh, that's the reason why you, I mean, if you got, like I like to do, uh, he's going to be driving up on uh, 95 from Florida all the way back up to New Jersey, all that put in place by Dwight Eisenhower's Interstate uh, Highway Systems Program. So uh, a lot of stuff going on. Now, Nixon was coming in with a lot of, uh, there's a lot of bad vibes, if you will, because like we said, it's 72, so the, you had your whole 60s movement here. 
You had a, a lot of the fear about, um, well, you know, Kennedy's obviously dead at this point. There was that, the aforementioned Bay of Pigs. Vietnam. Uh, Vietnam's going on, cooking. Uh, uh, I mean, that's Cronkite's talking about it every day on the news. It's getting intense. And if Walter told you to eat shit, there'd be people with brown fingers all over America. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's what Nixon said, is that when he lost Cronkite, that's when he knew he lost the war. Mm-hmm. So that was the, the, the power of the... Now, again, the media becomes a thing, because now they're unchecked, too. That's an unregulated power. So there should be a freedom of the press. There should be all that stuff. But what happens when they're not exactly being um, uh, integrity-based? We'll call it that. So <laughs> Modern yellow journalism, if you will. Yeah. Uh, again, that's going... Uh, so this modern thing is, a, well, what if we have a well-intentioned yellow journalism, you know, versus William Randolph Hearst? Another uh, loserception moment there. Mm. That We did not write that. Chris shot that one out at you folks, all right? But uh, again, it's going to take about two years here. They're starting to figure out some stuff. There's a lot of things that aren't quite adding up. We're going to connect the dots here. Um, now, Woodward and Bernstein are eventually going to receive, again, they're writers for the Washington Post. They are assigned to cover the robbery that took place over at the Watergate Hotel. Um, now, some of the guys, that they were known as Nixon's plumbers, by the way. That's what they, it was so, huh. yeah, because they would come at Mr. Fix-It's kind of a thing. Yeah, it looks like you got a leak. We took care of the leak, you know. Hey, oh. you need a little bit, you need some dirt? You need some shit on them? Yeah, you call the plumbers in. They figure out where the shit's going, but... Um, Eventually, this invaluable information is going to start coming uh, towards Woodward and Bernstein's way uh, from a mysterious source dubbed Deep Throat. Okay, Deep Throat will become the catalyst for tying the Watergate scandal to the White House. This is, again, about a two-year endeavor. Um, The information provided by this source will lead to, I shit you not, folks, listen up at home if you can. Uh, You might be tuning it out. You might be running on your treadmill or something like that. Stu Greenberg, how are you, buddy? Um, But uh, this information provided by Deep Throat will lead to 69 indictments, 48 convictions, the resignation of the President of the United States, a best-selling book, and four Academy Awards. But it wasn't as good as the movie of the same name. That's <laughs> where, again, we would typically do a, a Kahuna would be here to do a casting couch for us. But you can't because Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford played uh, the aforementioned uh, uh, Woodward and Bernstein. So pretty good stuff on that one. Um, do you know who the youngest uh, man indicted in this was at the time? Someone whose name came back very, very hard later in our more modern years. Uh-oh. I mean, there's a couple of interesting ones. Mr. Roger Stone. Uh, interesting. Very interesting on that one because uh, there's another couple of guys that are going to come into the story later here. So all those guys, once you realize that it really is uh, like fraternities that right? these guys pledge to, that gets it gets creepy downright. <laughs> um Again, skull and bones over at Yale. Uh, a majority, a lot of our presidents of the United States have all been members of that secret society. A lot of, most of the heads of Exxon and a bunch of the major uh, Fortune 500 companies are all members of that. Also, Paul Giamatti. Huh. Yeah, he's in Skull and Bones. Okay. Yeah. All right. You won't get him to talk about it, though. All right. Mm, damn. <laughs> Well, uh, after decades of secrecy about what the identity of the man known as Deep Throat, uh, it's finally announced to the public. The agreement uh, between the protected source and his journalist handlers was that the source would be kept confidential until either his death or his own admission uh, of being the source. And in 2005, a guy by the name of Mark Felt announced that he had been the man of mystery that had changed the face of American politics and culture forever. And uh, Uncle Paul, you might be, uh, you know, like some of the listeners at home, you're saying to yourself, wait a minute, who the fuck is Mark Felt? <laughs> <laughs> he had a, a political uh, a, 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 mm, 
allegiance, but he also had an FBI connection, didn't he? Well, he was um, he was very much in, embedded with the FBI. He gets, I mean, I won't lie, he's straight up fascinating. We're not covering the entire scandal because there's so much information here on a lot of this stuff. We're just kind of honing in on Mark Felt the person because, again, he was known to be, if you were a player in the game, you knew who Mark Felt was, but the bigger picture... You know, the people down in Jacksonville, Florida, they didn't really quite know what was going on around this time frame until 2005 when it comes out that Mark Feld is revealing himself as, hey, guys, I was deep throat. Yeah, but by then, nobody gave a shit. Uh, that's the fun thing. We always say it in uh, history here. It takes about 30 years. 30 years is when you stop giving a shit. Like when you're a little kid, your birthday is a huge deal, right? Until you turn about 30. Then afterwards, you're just like, oh, shit, it's my birthday again. I mean, I guess I'll get something nice to eat, but I don't want to tell anybody how old I am. That's about how long it takes for us to stop caring about some great miscarriage of justice orchestrated by uh, the, the government. The people who thought Kissinger was deep throat, they got disappointed. Who the hell's felt? It's <laughs> well, some of the theories are wild. Somebody even said that they thought the deep throat was Nixon himself. Self, that he might have been trying to put the information out there to try to stay ahead of the story kind of a thing. Oh, I, I, yeah. He wasn't that smart. Nixon was a pretty brilliant guy. Uh, his quote about Watergate was that um, he believes that he had a million enemies, and he knew that because he didn't play nice. He was, he was a rough-and-tumble president. Um, a lot of amazing things he pulled off, too, especially domestic policy stuff that gets lost in the shuffle because you hear Nixon and you automatically uh, associate it with Watergate, which, I mean, how could you not? It's a huge scandal. But he often says about Watergate, is that uh, his enemies were uh, bloodthirsty, right? Mm -hmm. And he just bled a little bit on them with Watergate, and that was enough to get them to just keep coming after him. And we all know how it ends. Uh, only president in American history to ever resign. Well, so. if, if you ask the American public right now, what do you think when you hear Richard Nixon? They're going to say this guy with a funny face and a big nose with two fingers up on each hand saying, I am not a crook. And that's yeah. all I know. I always think about his dog, too, because he's got that great story about uh, being given a dog when he was the vice president. By the way, he was the, the VP for Eisenhower. A lot of people forget that. Um, but we got to, in order to tell this story properly, we have to go back to 1913. All right? That's All right. What, I wasn't around in 1913, correct. so don't be asking me a questions. A young, virile man here, my <laughs> uncle. Mark Felt is born in Twin Falls, Idaho in 1913. He would attend school in Moscow. Not that one. Uh, apparently, the University of Idaho is located in Moscow. <laughs> yeah. All three people that were there. <laughs> you know what I thought about it? I was like, I would go to Idaho. I, I you know, it's like uh, my uh, my dad's uh, one of his best friends growing up. Uh, we called him Uncle Bomb, Joe Bombelli. He was an Italian guy that went to the University of Oklahoma and uh, from Jersey, right? And he goes out there, and there's like, he, what were these weird Italian fellows? And the Godfather came out, and the cowboy started <laughs> kissing the rings on his hand. <laughs> so. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so Moscow, Idaho, he would get a government job with the FTC, also known as the Federal Trade Commission, and he hated it. I'm not kidding. As I mentioned to you, Uncle Paul, um, he was actually investigating. This is one of his duties that Mark Felt, the future, you know, the guy who would eventually take down the White House, he gets assigned to investigate a company called Red Cross Toilet Paper because they wanted to know if the consumers were being impacted by the use of the name Red Cross, and they're not affiliated with the Red Cross organization. Oh, okay. so, and uh, he wrote in his own memoirs, he goes, so I did find in my research, most people do use toilet paper, <laughs> and uh, most people don't like being asked about the toilet paper they use. And he kind of just left it as that. <laughs> so, it was the Sears catalog, wasn't it? Yeah, it's, a, it's something to wipe your ass with. Yeah. <laughs> 
Felt knew it was time for something different, and in 1941, he joined up with the Loserception folks, J. Edgar Hoover's Bureau of Investigation, just in time to hunt down spies and saboteurs in the domestic United States during World War II. Felt's biggest success back then. This is how you know. This is if it wasn't for the Watergate stuff, this would be what he's most remembered for. Felt's biggest success uh, success is with an agent known as Peasant. Okay. The agent uh, known as Peasant, he was a German spy that was held in British custody. So Felt helped set up a story that Peasant actually had escaped the UK and had made his way to the United States and, and then was going to continue to be able, from the United States, to feed information back to the Germans. Hmm. So uh, now that you control the handler, you now control the story too, right? So they have this, you know, this guy's rotting in jail in England, but we're saying that he's in America and then we're sending the Germans bad intel. Pretty cool. So, um, anyway, after the war's over, that job's really not going to be, you can't, the Espionage Act expires, if you will. And uh, after the war, Felt gets moved by Hoover multiple times, which was very common for agents under Hoover's direction. Little side note, Hoover was not married and didn't have kids, so he didn't understand. He's like, yeah, why can't you be in Philly in, in 30 minutes, you know? That was, and he told you that when he was wearing fishnets. That's a, <laughs> if you want to listen to our J. Edgar Hoover episode of American Loser <laughs> in the back catalog, we do debunk that. That's how hated J. Edgar Hoover was of a man, is that they just invented this story that he liked to dress up in women's clothes, and it just everyone hated him so much that they just repeated it <laughs> to, to the point where it became common knowledge. <laughs> so it's pretty wild. It's like you, you, go, you can't look at Richard Gere and not picture a gerbil, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Oh, the association. I just, it's stuck. It's burned into my head. It's yeah. A, it's, it's a pain in the ass. Oh. <laughs> We're getting a letter from PETA. Um, <laughs> but Felt will actually serve a various stints in the Bureau as a firearms instructor investigating organized crime, which J. Edgar Hoover infamously said does not exist right before the all the major heads of the families uh, had this giant, they pretty much had their version of uh, uh, Lollapalooza. <laughs> you know, they had Coachella for, um, for friggin'. <laughs> organized crime underneath uh, Hoover's watch, but Felt is definitely proving himself to be useful in the Bureau in almost any scenario and any assignment he's given. So, fast forward to 1971. Felt is now the Deputy Associate Director of the FBI. He was one of Hoover's trusted men, but he's not in quite as deep, you know, in the, the good old boys club, if you will, as other members of J. Edgar's entourage, namely Clyde Tolson, uh, who is Hoover's right-hand man. In 1972, after the death of J. Edgar, all right, so Hoover's dead now, Hoover was the longest reigning uh, director of the FBI. I think actually his name was the associate director of the FBI for a while, because keep in mind, too, there was the Bureau of Investigation that then merged into the FBI. It's a whole weird thing. And again, Uncle Paul, who's regulating them? Because Hoover's got dirt on just about everybody. He had files like you wouldn't believe. He probably have a, has a file on me. It wouldn't shock me. That's <laughs> he did have files that were uh, of the utmost importance. And again, I don't want to ruin. You should listen to the J. Edgar Hoover episode if you're interested in this. It might even be. I believe it's up on our YouTube now. American Loser uh, podcast. Uh, uh, just search American Loser J. Edgar Hoover. It should pop up over there on YouTube. To, uh, check that out. Um, direct some friends over to that for me if you will. It really helps me out. Um, but important note, J. Edgar Hoover has, uh, this was the, the part of the story that stuck out the most to me. I think Chris will really appreciate this. Um, J. Edgar Hoover was tracking down a spy, right, that they knew was working in uh, uh, the United States. And they couldn't figure out if she was Russian or German or what the deal was. I, I can't remember that part of the story. However, she happens to be in D.C. and has these rendezvous with a handsome young naval officer. Right. And they actually were taping her in the hotel room, uh, you know, to, to keep surveillance on her. 
and they have uh, sex tapes of her fucking this young naval officer, young American naval officer, and uh, kind of a weird thing. They, they don't ever turn up any dirt on her. I believe she actually... Uh, was friends friendly with Hitler? That Hitler described her as like a Nordic beauty. I think Hitler's honeypot. <laughs> yeah, essentially she was. Uh, yeah, she, she was well thought of there. Now, um, the naval officer, a couple of years later, winds up president of the United States. His name John F. Kennedy. So imagine. Oh. So J. Edgar Hoover has a sex tape of JFK that's just sitting in this lock, right? That's right. He has a whole room of Elvis Presley shit. That's a, <laughs> he really does. He lost his head, but they have a fo- film of him getting head. Oh, this is the worst. <laughs> the quality wordplay we've come to expect out of Chris. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you would think that right now with uh, this guy Edgar Tol, I'm sorry, Jagger's dead. Tolson now, who is you know, on paper they put him in charge. Um, he's been in declining health for quite some time. He gets placed in charge, but there's no way that he's fit for duty, let alone uh, the ones that he's already failing at due to his health. So it would make sense for a career bureau man like Felt to take over, but that will not be the case. Instead, they're going to bring in a guy by the name of L. Patrick Gray, who was made the new director of the FBI. Some say that this move insulted Felt, who, pun intended, felt like he deserved it more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this is the part where Kahuna would just be rolling his eyes like this corny mother. <laughs> but um, anyway, Hoover's personal secretary is a woman by the name of Helen Gandy, and uh, she is infamously known for dutifully destroying J. Edgar's files uh, or a lot of the dirt that he had on some of these politicians. Uh, except for the ones that she decided maybe, you know, Mr. Felt might be able to use. Because if you got dirt on everybody, it's kind of an interesting, uh, intriguing moment here. Well, you know, I don't know. I might have to have leverage over so-and-so down the road. So why don't I have that photo of him hanging out at a communist rally in the, you know, 20 years ago? So um, anyway, uh, Felt is now promoted to number two in the FBI. He is serving uh, for Clyde Tolson right at the time here now this uh this new fbi director this uh, uh the gentleman's name is again it's, it's so funny because they start off with just letters so you had j edgar hoover and then there's a guy by the name of uh, g gordon liddy and then e <laughs> howard hunt it's uh, it's like come on guys just have a good first name that's all you got to do anyway my name's kp burke um <laughs> so that's right i'm pp petruno three p's also oh geez you're right i didn't even put that one together yeah middle um, name's philip <laughs> Well, L. Patrick Gray is the new director of the FBI, and our boy Mark Felt is uh, firmly entrenched at number two over here. And the new FBI director, he's not a bad guy. He's a former, former naval officer, but he has no law enforcement or bureau experience. He also, if you want to talk about a hellish commute, I bitch about driving down, you know, the 50 minutes it takes to get me here to Eatontown sometimes, Uncle Paul. But this guy, Gray, is commuting uh, to D.C. from Connecticut. That's a what? long friggin' yeah. ride. Yeah, so uh, his nickname then became Three Day Gray, because he would probably drive down on a Monday, work his ass off Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, then go home on Friday. Jesus Christ, what is that, four hours? More than that. Uh, I was going to say, what? yeah, at least four. It takes me three and a half from here. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. And thanks to Eisenhower, there's an interstate now. So. Yeah, and you can, lay, <laughs> you can land an airplane there. <laughs> Well, uh, his hard work when available was not enough to outweigh the constant absences. And then also he's going to have some health issues uh, later on in his career. And it left uh, Mark Felt with all the duties of director just without the title. You want to piss somebody off, don't give them the title, don't give them the pay raise, but make them do all the work that the guy who's got the title and the pay raise, uh, is. he's taking credit for all your hard work, essentially. And they didn't print his cards. 
Yep, correct. <laughs> I just picture that scene from American Psycho when they're comparing business cards. Look at that. Look at the embossed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Felt made it clear in his memoirs that uh, he was under the belief that Nixon had put Gray into power uh, over Felt because Gray would be more malleable in Nixon's use for him. Because Nixon, again, this is one of the things here is that Nixon's starting to, the CIA's already gone wild. We've covered that in our MK Ultra episode. The CIA is doing whatever the fuck it wants. They are, uh, uh, I mean, just a runaway government. Uh, it's it's a license to kill, essentially. We just want to dose our agency, see what happens. It's, uh, again, <laughs> I read some of this stuff. I was like, this shouldn't be on Wikipedia. Why is this on Wikipedia? <laughs> He but. fell out of the window. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, absolutely fascinating stuff here. So the CIA is already kind of crazy. Uh, there's the, the theory that they might have killed one of the previous presidents. So now Nixon has come in. He goes, well, I'm going to use this FBI as kind of uh, they're going to be my hatchetmen to carry out my details here. Well, things that I need. I need dirt on so and so. I need to be protected from this. I need the FBI looking into the CIA who's looking into the, you know, these people about that. You know, it becomes a whole crazy scenario. But essentially, this gray guy is getting put in here so that Nixon can count on the FBI because J. Edgar Hoover, as much of a, a pain in the ass as he was to some people, he did. Uh, I'm going to use a, I'm going to quote Game of Thrones. Uh, what, what was the Varys, right? Was the bald guy? Yeah. OK. He's got a great quote in the first season when they ask him, uh, well, whose house do you serve? And he goes, I serve the realm. Hmm. J. Edgar Hoover did not have political alignments. He served the country. And so he's like, so I'm doing some bad shit here, but I'm doing it for America. So uh, Hoover, Hoover becomes a little bit of a hero, in, in, depending on what, uh, yeah. what, what part of his story you want to focus on. But uh, so this uh, gray guy he's put in now, he's just going to be uh, essentially a puppet for Nixon is what they're hoping for. So um, he was a little bit of a maverick. We'll use that term. Gray is the director during the investigation into the uh, Watergate break-in, again, at the time of the incident. Just a weird situation involving a bungled break-in attempt, and some of the guilty party was captured with illegal surveillance equipment to bug the DNC. And a couple of those guys that were arrested are in the direct employ of the Nixon campaign. Nothing to see here, folks. Keep moving on, all right? Third-rate burglary. Nothing to see here. <laughs> I keep having to state that it's Nixon's re-election campaign, because it's very important to know that a sitting president is involved with this scandal. That's a little bit bigger than maybe running for the presidency. And then, you know, an issue comes up and you say, all right, well, I've suspended my campaign. We've seen that happen before. So uh, for the nearly year long investigation by the FBI into the Watergate break in, all the information would eventually be handed off to Director Gray. But in order to get to Director Gray, it has to pass through the number two. Want to take a wild guess who's getting a good look at all this information, Uncle Paul? No, I don't. Mark, I'm already going to throw up. Mark Felt. <laughs> <laughs> So all the information is being handed over to Mark Felt's office. Felt was aware of all the dirty details and more. It was getting strange that Woodward and Bernstein, two reporters from the Washington Post, who, like my uncle said, these were kind of nobodies beforehand, uh, are now somehow reporting things almost verbatim from FBI intel sources. <laughs> now you mem remember Sean Connery as 007? You thought like the CIA had to be like that, the FBI? No, 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 no. The FBI, if they're going to kill you, they'll shoot you. Double tap to the chest, one to the head. CIA, they'll walk past you, and a couple of days later, you have a heart attack and die. Very true. Mm -hmm. Very true. That was, um, uh, they were big on poisons. It was, uh, you know, there was a couple other things. They could drug somebody. Again, uh, you could fall out of a window, even though mm -hmm. you showed no suicidal tendencies prior to that. Um, That's called a Russian tea break. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the craziest part of the MK Ultra guy was that there was no, uh, there was wounds on him before he fell out the window. So it's like, oh, what were you doing in there? But something weird is definitely going on. 
Woodward and Bernstein seemed to have inside knowledge. Bob Woodward had known Mark Felt before the Watergate scandal broke out and kept his identity a secret, as promised. Uh, Woodward describes Deep Throat. All right, we have to talk about this. So we always apologize. We apologize to anybody who's listening in a public setting because this part's a little bit graphic here. We apologize to our good friends, the Sunquist family out in Minnesota. Carl Sunquist, very talented musician as well. Check out his work. Um, but they've become uh, friends of the show, if you will. And anyway, uh, unfortunately, this is just a true fact. This is a legitimate thing here. They gave the source the nickname Deep Throat. Now, originally, uh, Mark Felt was referred to in the paper by Woodward as my friend, my friend so-and-so, and my friend this, and my friend that. And then they realized, they're like, oh, shit, uh, we're using my friend, MF, Mark Felt. This isn't, they're going to figure this out. <laughs> so the editor over at the Washington Post goes, well, why don't we start calling him Deep Throat, you know, because he's like, uh, you know, real deep in all that shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> And uh, I'm not even kidding. That's what they wind up going with. And, of course, there's also a certain movie that came out in 1972. Uncle Paul, I'm not putting you on blast here, but did you ever see a movie called Deep Throat? I remember her as a child on the, uh, was it Ivory Snowbox? <laughs> You're talking about uh, Linda Lovelace, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so Deep Throat, a uh, pornographic film, but in a strange time, what's known as the golden age of uh, pornography, um, there was a, a little subculture known as Porno Chic, because these were porn movies that had extremely high production values, character development, screenwriters were being attached to that. There was a lot of inventive camera angles and what stuff like that. What are you saying, KP? <laughs> oh. So this movie, Deep Throat, comes out. Uh, and it's, it's pretty much a big hit. Guys like Scorsese are watching it. Um, and people are studying it. There's, uh, there's actual film reviews of this. And they're... they're now, the plot gets a little bit interesting. They call it a tearjerker because you always need to have tissues and lotion with you. Really weird. <laughs> there was a lot of jerking going on. <laughs> Somewhere, my buddy Joe Conti, his ears just perked up and he goes, huh? <laughs> uh, he always, uh, he's got a couple of great jokes about that stuff. But um, no, so Deep Throat is a movie that comes out starring Linda Lovelace. And the plot of the movie is that I'm not making this up, guys. This is available to read on Wikipedia. Uh, the plot of the movie is that she's a woman who cannot have an orgasm and uh, she sees a doctor and the doctor goes, oh, well, it would seem that your uh, clitoris is actually located in the back of your throat. And uh, so the only way that she could achieve climax would be by performing oral sex on men. So uh, that becomes the whole plot of the movie. And this is a movie that gets studied by a lot of people. And uh, you'll never Jesus. believe this one, Uncle Paul. This one, for a kahuna jaw drop moment, he's going to sit up in bed in a couple of minutes and go, something's wrong with the force. Um, <laughs> kahuna, if you're listening out there, buddy, Deep Throat is a movie that is watched and referenced in the memoirs of Barbara Walters. Yep, Barbara Walters sitting around watching porno movies. What? Yep. What? Yeah, that's a weird one. <laughs> <laughs> what? So uh, now Woodward actually, they're going to start using this term uh, deep throat now in order to, to protect the identity of Mark Felt. And uh, Woodward describes his source in his book, All the President's Men, which will later be made into an Academy Award winning movie, uh, as an incorrigible gossip who is in a unique position to examine the executive branch. If you're the number two in the FBI, you got a pretty good look at what's going on over in Washington. You're in the proverbial swamp. As he it's had his mouth on the scoop, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, 
Felt is said to have uh, known more reporters than most reporters and was aware that Woodward and Bernstein were covering the Watergate story. So he would agree to meet and give information. To, by the way, that would be an interesting thing, is if in some of those files that he was given by J. Edgar Hoover, if he had dirt on journalists to say, hey, you run this story, I'm going to you know, put this photo of you cheating on your wife on your front doorstep every day. That's a whole real messy area right sure there. Sure is, man. Oh, sure is. Boy. You'd be found wrapped in newspaper, just like uh, you sleep with the fish kind of guy. Yeah, uh, Luca Brasi. <laughs> so, yeah, as you said, though, uh, you mess with the CIA, you suddenly commit suicide. You mess with the FBI, they dig up dirt on you and threaten you. Sometimes they'll shoot you, too. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in order for these two guys to meet, this is how uh, Felt is said to have, like I said, he knew all these reporters. He knows that they're covering the story. So he's going to make sure that Woodward and Bernstein get the info they need to continue to process this story and chase down the lead. So this is kind of interesting. So, uh the Coes used to contact one another, um, and all their meetings are going to take place in a parking garage, which is actually was set to be destroyed and actually got preserved, and they're going to put a historical marker on there for where Deep Throat met with the reporters for the Watergate scandal. So that'll be a great walking tour. And here's the parking garage where Deep Throat, hang on, what? <laughs> I brought my kids to this. Um, the codes used to contact one another were kind of funny, since they tend to be uh, either overly intricate or sometimes a little bit too casual. Uh, sometimes Felt would call Woodward directly. So, yeah, that's uh, all, all the political intrigue of, uh, hey, this is Deep Throat. I mean, Mark Felt. Uh, <laughs> can I talk to Bob, please? And Woodward's wife answered the, the phone sometimes. She goes, oh, yeah, oh, Mark Felt. Hey, Mark Felt's on the phone? Something about the president being involved in a scandal? <laughs> Something about deep throating? I don't that's, know. <laughs> I think my husband's in the closet. Uh, but... Uh, the other times that they would meet, it would be interesting. If uh, Woodward wanted to meet with uh, Felt, what he would do is he would move a, a flower pot on the balcony of his apartment with a red flag in it. So if he moved that out there, uh, then Felt would see it, and then they would decide on a meeting. Now, if Felt wanted to meet with Woodward, uh, Woodward received a copy, a, a personal copy, which was rare back then, of the New York Times. And what would happen is that on page 20 of the New York Times, uh, Mark Felt would get his hands on the paper beforehand before it got over to Woodward. He would circle the number 20 on the page and then draw a little clock with uh, hour and minute hands and say, at this time, we'll be meeting. So pretty cool. That's, I, that's cool. Yeah. And then other times like, I, I didn't have time for all that today, so I'm just going to call you. <laughs> <laughs> there was a thing about the pot in the window thing. They said that the room he had faced the inner circle of the hotel, so he couldn't see it from the street. So that was kind of BS. But it doesn't mean he didn't have two rooms, one on one side, one yeah, on the other. Yeah, they said another part. There's two other in intriguing parts because it's an English author my uncle's uh, talking about, or an English journalist who's poking holes in the theory on this. Mm -hmm. And one thing is that the building that was as it's constructed now was not how it was constructed then. So they, they do say there would have been some visibility from the porch because I checked that one out too. Uh, and then the other one was it's the, it's the big underlying thing here. It's the FBI, uh, the, the balcony of his apartment could be seen from the FBI building. So if Felt really wanted to, he could take a pair uh, of binoculars. Wave. Yeah, go put one of your underlings on that. Hey, uh, if you see a red flag in a flower pot on this balcony over here, you just let me know, okay? And then the person's sitting like, oh, sure, uh, what, what just happened? I have no idea. But that's how deep undercover this whole shit's going here. Mm. So uh, again, they're moving forward here. This uh, uh, The post editor coined the, the nickname Deep Throat just to kind of protect him from all this stuff. And uh, actually his identity it does kept is kept secret from the general public 
but even Woodward's wife is figuring it out, and then they're saying, I think Bernstein's kid kind of knew who it was, and all these, and they're starting to figure it out within there. Uh, so, like we said, they got these kind of cool, intricate ways here. Uh, again, you're speaking to the number two at the FBI. There's all sorts of ways to ensure the information in these meetings is going to be handled safely. And uh, until 2005, when Fell actually reveals himself to be Deep Throat, the insiders in the FBI, uh, they're actually already suspecting it as it's happening. So the general public finds out in 05, he's good to, like, pretty much people working with him, like, this guy might be the dude here. Nixon's advisors initially wanted to work with Felt because they believed him to be an ambitious man. And what do they know about ambitious men, Uncle Paul? I was never one, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> well, sometimes they'll take their uh, integrity and, uh, you know, maybe sidestep that a little Stretch bit. Stretch it a little. <laughs> yeah. So... They're thinking that Felt's actually a guy that wants to be the director of the FBI. So, well, why don't we work with him? He might be malleable for us here. So, uh, anyway, by uh, Felt assisting in the scaling down of the investigation, that's what they were trying to hope. Like, hey, let's get Felt to kind of, hey, this really isn't important. We got bigger stories to cover. Why don't you focus on that stuff? Uh, the White House would then find a way to give him a reward. Uh, now, unfortunately, here's the whole thing. You want something like that to happen, but then you also don't give this guy any of the stuff that he would maybe be looking for. So they're dangling a carrot. Felt's not grabbing it. Felt's also still getting punished for maybe not grabbing the carrot when he was supposed to. Gray will return from sick leave. And during this whole time frame, again, Felt is essentially running the FBI by himself, but as the number two uh, and not getting any of the credit. So Gray will return from sick leave and questions Felt directly about leaking info to the press. The attorney general is now getting involved with this as well. So, again, the whole Nixon machine is starting to breathe down Felt's uh, throat here a little bit, pun intended. (laughs) Um, Felt denied all allegations, and thanks to his spotless resume and dutiful career thus far, he has spared any blowback and is still largely believed to be uninvolved. But Nixon, if you guys don't know this, Uncle Paul, do you know anything about the Nixon tapes off the top of your head? Yeah, they were gone. It's it's pretty (laughs) rough. Um, The Nixon tapes are, he had tapes and then he had secret tapes and then super secret tapes essentially that there were people who knew that they were the the white house was bugged and that um they were being recorded and then there were other so like kissinger would know that he was being recorded for the most part and there were other people that had no clue they were being uh, uh recorded and then there were other recordings hidden from the recordings that even sometimes kissinger himself was unaware that he was being recorded by nixon he thought he was being recorded because a lot of times he'd be going testing one two testing <laughs> one two yeah, it's a, you figure it out eventually when you walk into the White House and there's kahuna sitting behind the ones and twos in the corner. Yeah, but he had training wheels on it. <laughs> Guys, what's going on? Uh, classic kahuna, too. Kahuna sitting there while Kissinger and Nixon are talking about the plans in Vietnam and kahuna chimes in with his two cents. You know, I was thinking, guys, uh, <laughs> this would make a great screenplay. <laughs> I can make you into a puppet. Oh, yeah, here's a puppet named Ho Chi Minh. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, we love you, Christian, wherever you are. Oh, damn it, I said his real name. Whatever. <laughs> People figured it out by now. Um, but, yeah, so uh, they're starting to figure this stuff out over here. The attorney general's now involved. Felt's denying everything. Uh, but three-day Gray, as uh, he was known, this L. Patrick Gray, he seems to have Mark Felt's back. He knows. He goes, hey, listen, this is a good guy here, uh, at least for now. So he defends him. Unfortunately for Gray, Gray himself will soon be forced to resign after it is discovered that he had destroyed a White House file that was kept by E. Howard Hunt. 
It's okay if you don't remember anything about him, but that name stands out to you a little bit, right, Uncle Paul? Oh, absolutely. E. Howard Hunt. He was one of Nixon's plumbers and was part of the Watergate scandal. It would wind up serving 33 months in jail for his actions. Uh, oh, yeah, he was also uh, a CIA dude involved with the Bay of Pigs, overthrowing the Guatemalan government and MKUltra. Oh, he was just there in South America doing some vacationing. Mm-hmm. It's a, yeah, I'm uh, a big fan of bananas. We should get bananas in America. Yes, a lot so. It's my favorite thing. I, I will make a video of that soon. Is the uh, the question we asked in one of the episodes of, uh, do you like bananas? Uh, if yes, you are racist. <laughs> That's how we figured this out. <laughs> so, with uh, Gray out uh, because Gray is now forced to resign because he destroys that confidential file here and gets ca- caught and then actually owns up to it. Gray, pretty solid guy here for you know being a, a bureaucrat. Um, Felt is now the logical choice for the job, right? The number two guy has been running the agency essentially without uh, any credit anyway. But Nixon instead, because he's a little bit annoyed with Felt here, will go with William Ruckelhaus. So Felt knew what what it meant. Um, He'd been passed over again as a punishment for Nixon's suspicions that he was deep throat. And Ruckelhaus was now put into power to act as a security guard for the Nixon administration from the FBI itself. So, so he's like a pick against Deep Throat. Perfect, perfect just, reference. You know, to make yeah. sure that that doesn't, the ball doesn't get to the hoop. Exactly. That's a, a perfect reference to uh, if, if only it was March Madness still. Right. right? <laughs> um, but, yeah, essentially, so if you had Gray that was going to be the uh, the hatchet arm for Nixon to use the FBI for his, uh, his own devices, if you will, now Ruckelhaus gets put in there to make sure that the FBI can't break away and rebel against Nixon here. So he's essentially a security guard. That's a, he's a watchdog put on uh, felt, if you will. So the uh, two guys are going to butt heads nonstop, Ruckelhaus and Felt. They don't get along. Um, after a possibly prank phone call from someone claiming to be with the New York Times, this uh, writer for the New York Times, a, a proposed journalist, calls up Ruckelhaus and says, hey, listen, I'm looking for a comment on this. I have confirmed sources that say that Mark Felt is deep throat. Whoa. Yeah. So he confronts uh, Mark Felt about, uh, about the whole thing. And he goes, well, Felt, you tell me what you want to do here. And uh, Felt denies everything. And he goes, all right, Mark, well, here's what we're going to do. Why don't you go home and sleep on it? And we'll figure out what you want to do in the morning. And uh, Mark Felt would go home, sleep on it, and in the next day, he would wake up and resign from the FBI after a decades-long career. So, Felt will get himself into a little bit of legal trouble uh, in his own right afterwards here. He would play, uh, excuse me, he winds up having to plead guilty to a misdemeanor charge, which is pretty much getting off easy on this one, for what the FBI referred to as black bag raids, where the FBI was illegally breaking into properties owned or occupied by groups or persons being investigated officially, or sometimes unofficially, by the FBI. Uh, some of these groups would include the Weather Underground. All right, if you don't know about the Weather Underground, we will do a full episode on them. I don't want to give it all away here, too, but uh, the Weather Underground, kind of still in the modern topic, they were essentially a domestic terrorist organization. And uh, because of the FBI's, uh, it, it, they were captured by doing illegal wiretapping. The, they were not allowed to be able to get prosecuted. So a lot of the guys from the Weather Underground who legitimately planted bombs and intended to kill people and that blow up government buildings. Admissible. Yeah, so because the FBI <sighs> overplayed their hand, these guys got off uh, scot-free. Also, weird thing, I have to confirm all this information, but I do remember it pretty clearly. Um, I'll find the names and all the other you know, nonsense involved with it. But uh, one of the heads of the Weather Underground out in Chicago would actually sell his house uh, on a sweetheart deal 
he sells his house that he owns. It's going to be this uh, this guy and his wife. They're just they want to buy a house and start a life together out in Chicago. Uh, guy's name is Barry Satoro, and uh, you would know him as Barack Obama. So Barack Obama bought his first house from a member of the Weather Underground. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah, it gets a little bit intense there. It's kind of like when you find out that uh, Trump bought. Uh, um, the, the Taj Mahal property uh, from the Philly mob directly. <laughs> uh, good. <laughs> yeah, this show ruins a lot of things, but we also make some things better, guys. But uh, unfortunately, with these black bag raids that are taking place that Felt is very much involved in, it's shown to be illegal, and it winds up being a miscarriage of justice and corruption and all this other stuff, and it's a lot of hearings and whatnot. Uh, the Weather Underground, the Black Panthers, all these groups like that, that are getting, there's five addresses. Uh, that get broken into illegally that they get caught doing. Uh, five addresses, some of them in New York and the rest of them in the center of the universe, folks. New Jersey. <laughs> All right. Sorry, Pat Dowden. There's our one Jersey tie-in for the week. Uh, lose reception here to McCarthyism. All right. That episode also up on YouTube, folks. Uh, Joe McCarthy's right-hand man. You mentioned earlier Roger Stone. Um He's involved with Trump, obviously, right? So that there's a modern sense to that. This other guy was a, a mentor of Donald Trump's by the name of Roy, Roy Cohn. Cohn. Yep. Yeah, baby. Roy Cohn, one of the most unfortunate-looking men in the history of the world. <laughs> Rough. <laughs> Makes me look good. <laughs> yeah. He does make me sit there and I'm like, my God, modeling is a thing. That's within my wheelhouse. <laughs> but Roy Cohn is actually a brilliant guy, though. Unbelievable. And what a fascinating story he has. Uh, the Nixon tapes and uh, Roy Cohn. Uh, are both documentaries you can watch on HBO. They should yes. be on HBO yes, Max, they I assume. Are. Yeah. They are. Very good documentaries. Um, but Roy Cohn will defend Mark Felt vigorously during what he deemed the scapegoating of Mark Felt by the Carter administration. Uh. So Jimmy Carter's now knows. Cause again, remember, this is a goofy time in American history. Yeah. Um, well, now, my uncle, he lived through it, so he should know these names here. But, Chris, I mean, what's the secession of power, if you will, post-Nixon? Post-Nixon? Uh, let's see here. There was... Um, Carter was it Reagan after Carter? Well, here's what's crazy because you're right, you're right. But there is a there's a, a stopgap, if you will. So Nixon's eventually going to have to resign, and his uh, Gerald Ford becomes the president. <gasps> Ford. Yeah. So Gerald Ford becomes the president, and then after that is when uh, Jimmy Carter's going to come in, the peanut farmer from Georgia, mm -hmm. who's still a human being, just not a particularly effective president. Goodbye, uh, peanut farm. It's a <laughs> Uh, and then Reagan would come in here. So it, the story is going to really end with Reagan for the most part on this one. But uh, anyway, uh, again, Roy Cohn is defending the shit out of Mark Felt here uh, because he's saying that the Carter administration is scapegoating uh, Felt because they're just saying like, oh, well, yeah, see, we got to clean up the government here because that's the whole thing. That's another thing that Jimmy Carter is definitely tasked with is having to clean up the mess from Nixon because Ford, a pretty well thought of guy. But uh, he's definitely not going to be... You can't bring about change when you're coming from the same camp that just fucked everything yeah. up. <laughs> so um, McCarthy's right-hand man again, Roy Cohn. He's a very intriguing figure here. But uh, he's defending them. In 1981, uh, a lot of it based off the suggestions and urging of Roy Cohn, a uh, new president by the name of Ronald Reagan, former governor of California and uh, uh, Hollywood uh, actor. Yeah, Hollywood star. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say he's probably the funniest president that we ever have in terms of audio recording. Cause he, <laughs> the guy had comedic timing. There's no doubt about it. Um, but uh, Reagan would actually pardon Mark Felt. And Felt will then oddly receive, believe it or not, because, again, his identity, his deep throat is still completely yeah. unknown. Uh, the FBI believes him to be guilty because they think that him resigning the next day after getting this the potentially frank phone call would be an admission of guilt. 
um, but it's never actually formally announced. So after, in 1981, when he receives the pardon from President Reagan, Felt gets a package in the mail with a congratulatory bottle of champagne saying justice prevails from former President Richard Nixon. <laughs> so the guy that he's been leaking all this, I mean, that's got to be a guilty bottle of champagne right there. Like, should I really Imagine be enjoying drinking that? <laughs> now, this is just a question because in my mind's eye, I have a picture of Deep Throat as, uh, since he's the number two in the FBI, wearing an eye patch all the time. When he resigns, does he have to give the eye patch back in? <laughs> Who does number two work for? Be great. Actually, believe it or not, there is a guy with an eye patch uh, serving in Dan. the government now. Dan uh, Crenshaw yep. out of Texas. That guy's what a story he's got. His life's not even close to halfway over yet, and he's already etched his name in the history books. But uh, Mark Felt, a man who was highly this one's great, Uncle Paul, because you have your daughter's been a guest on the show before, right, cousin Pam? Sure. She's a, a free spirited person, very mm. big on the arts and creativity and singing and everything. And she's just freaking nuts. That's it. <laughs> Well, uh, she does not seem nuts when compared to Mark Felt's own daughter. Hmm. All right. Mark Felt is a man who was highly personally conservative, but had enemies on both sides of the political aisle. He really never lined up with a party because, again, he's betraying Nixon, getting pardoned by Reagan. I think he's quoted as saying, I owe one to the Gipper here. Um, And then the reason why he probably wasn't super big with some of the Democratic presidents is because, uh, you know, it was either he was dealing with uh, LBJ or who was, I mean, that guy's a nut job. Uh, or Jimmy Carter, who's also one of the pe- the guy who's in the office right now as they're breathing down your neck and trying to threaten you with a 10-year jail sentence. So um, he's very steadfast in his duties with the FBI, though, but he's also leaking information to the public about corruption within the government for potentially dubious reasons. Because if you're a whistleblower, which is kind of what um, you know, they're saying that Mark Felt was, a lot of people who agree with him, too, and say, yes, he was right to do this, but he shouldn't have done it how he did it. He should have gone before a grand jury. That's great if what my uncle said earlier, the CIA couldn't just be like, hey, what's your address again, buddy? <laughs> Hold this for me. Yeah. <laughs> hey, guys, I have an appointment for a tea party. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, Mark felt uh, a straight-laced shooting conservative government agent from Idaho is, uh, oh, yeah, he, he's really big on acid. Did you guys know that? He loves acid. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, again, he's uh, considered to be a highly moral man. Uh, he's also considered to be a very loving father to his kids. His daughter, Joan, did the usual college hippie activist thing, though, uh, because she will go ahead and I believe she's uh, going to the University of Kansas. And then a couple few. Listen, I, I, I'm about as liberal as I can be within reason. OK, uh, but there, there's that whole neoliberal thing that's going on around this time frame where it's uh, I mean, some of the things are don't trust anybody over 30. And one of my favorite bands ever, the band, uh, Levon Helm, uh, the drummer, one of the greatest singers in American uh, rock history. He had a quote where he said, he goes, yeah, people are saying that uh, they don't like uh, don't trust anybody over 30 and you can't trust your parents and the government's out to get you. And, uh, that didn't make a whole lot of sense to us. That wasn't what we were about. We just wanted to play music. Mm-hmm. And he's pretty much the only one who just played music. Everybody else was doing, you know, Neil Young's burning his bra up on stage. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's important to note that, uh, again, these the spirit of the times, the zeitgeist, if you will, this was not uncommon. Joan Felt will actually then receive a, uh, she'll go overseas. She'll do a, a semester studying abroad. She goes to Chile. 
winds up getting involved with like the whole counter-revolutionary <laughs> thing and she's coming back full-on Marxist and it's like, you know, she's living in a hippie commune. They're doing lots of drugs. She still couldn't hold a candle of Patty Hearst. Well, I mean, Patty's going to be another episode Patty's for sure. Patty's my girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joan felt uh, her parents actually come to visit her because her parents are, they still love her. They're caring about her and everything. And, they, and her and her dad were very close as kids. They only grew apart as she was sitting there and she's like, yeah, my dad's in like the government, man. He's like doing all this bad shit over there, man. I don't even know, you know? It's like totally fucking killing my vibe. He's not groovy at all. That's not groovy. That's not psychedelic. So, yeah, totally unpsychedelic, man. Anyway, so I'm, I'm going to go into this van with eight dudes right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so her parents come and visit her, and they're shocked because Mark Felt was like, my daughter's hanging out with these people that are acting like the weather underground, the people that I'm compiling evidence against right now. This is not a good look. My daughter's a left-wing nut. What happened? Yeah, it's like, and he goes, he's like, I mean, I, I, I want you to be, you seem happy, but you're also doing a shitload of drugs, and, uh, you know, you're, you're debasing yourself in a lot of ways. I don't know if that's the right way to live your life. You didn't even go to Woodstock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then um, imagine Chilean music back then, right? Uh, it's, a, it's a goofy thing. And then she also, in turn, is embarrassed because her friends are like, did you know that Joan's dad's like a cop for the government or something? Like, Joan's dad's a narc. Yeah, dude, what's up with Joan's dad, man? <laughs> So they actually, the, the relationship by the daughter, uh, she admits this, uh, she kind of estranges herself from them. And it's crazy to me, too, because you want to point something out here? Yeah, my dad's like a fucking super square, like straight shooter type guy. He's just doing like the government thing. He's pretty much like a Nazi. Your dad is leaking information to the Washington Post that will lead to a corruption scandal that will force the resignation of a very corrupt man and Richard Milhouse Nixon. Your dad has done more good from within the government than you and any of your fucking hacky sack circle could ever dream of. All right, Joan? So give your dad a little bit of credit. But he doesn't wear sandals. He doesn't even own a pair. He doesn't even own a drug rug. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, just really tie the room together, man. Um, but no, so the, their relationship does get better later on. Uh, almost like Jenny from Forrest Gump. She's still alive, too, so I could probably get sued for this, but whatever. Um, she's kind of like Jenny from Forrest Gump, where it's uh, once she's done having her fun, then she'll come back and uh, saddle you with some of her bullshit. So Mark Felt, again, he's out of the FBI now. He's been pardoned by President Reagan. He takes on his favorite role in his life of grandpa to Joan's kids. And he actually buys a house. Joan and the kids live with him. Joan's working a regular job. She's kind of, They've reestablished their relationship. She doesn't find out until 2001 that her mother, who was uh, uh, on antidepressants and a heavy, heavy drinker, um, he doesn't find out, uh, she doesn't find out rather that uh, until 2001, multiple years after the death of her mother, that her mother had actually committed suicide. Whoa. And one of the reasons why was because it was... Uh, uh, the legal trouble that her father was in, that the, uh, her husband was in, rather, and then the daughter kind of abandoning the family. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, it was those were contributing factors to her mental illness taking over and her taking her own life. And uh, Mark Felt and his son, who was, I believe, in the Air Force, they cover up the whole thing and they say, all right, the coroners and the cops know, but that's it. We're not telling anybody else. She had a stroke kind of a thing is what they're going to say. Uh, yes. And so imagine that. You find out in 2001, you know, 15-something years after your, uh, your mother's dead that, uh, oh, by the way, she committed suicide and it was partly your fault. Mm. Um, so, My but, dad might be a leaker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then a couple years later, you're like, oh, you think that's going to be the big guy? You think that's the focal point of the story? You are Odysseus talking about what a great Trojan War you just had. Now you can't wait to get back home. <laughs> so, uh, man, I'm pretty good with that. <laughs> 
<laughs> read too much Greek mythology as a kid. But in order to land this plane, guys, we've got to tell you this one part of the story here. Um, so he's playing grandfather of the kids now. He's got a better relationship with his daughter. Uh, in 2005, this one gets interesting here because Joan noticed something interesting that took place back in 1999 because uh, her husband, I'm sorry, her, her father, Jesus, had uh, suffered a stroke in 1999. And while he was recovering from the stroke, he was greeted by an old friend, an old friend who pulled up in a limousine about uh, maybe five blocks away from the house so that he wouldn't uh, attract any attention and then walked the five blocks over to go have lunch with his good buddy, Mark Felt. Want to take one wild guess? Please tell me this was Nixon. No, Bob Woodward. Bob! Yep, so Bob Woodward, the man who leaked the story, who already has written a book called All this the President's Men. This is 2000, right? This is 1999. Right. Okay, the two, right yeah, the two of them are going to get together and have lunch. And Jones knows, and she's like, it was weird. Woodward and him, I didn't know that they were that close. <laughs> you know, they're greeting each other like old friends. They're having their, I, I think they had a martini together, which was a, a big deal. Cause, uh. Yeah, so that was, because um, I, I mean, when you have a stroke, I'm going to assume you shouldn't be having a martini. But uh, Woodward asked permission to have a drink with his old buddy of the daughter. And she goes, yeah, sure. I don't see why not. I don't but, know why he had a flower pot. Call <laughs> <laughs> back. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> But yeah, it was, uh, it was a pretty damn good story. Uh, the two of them get together, they have this great lunch, they're together and whatnot. And then a couple of years later, um, so we've mentioned the New York Times. Woodward reads the New York Times. We've mentioned the Washington Post, the paper that Woodward and Bernstein work for. You want to guess what publication, either of you can guess, which publication will leak the story that Deep Throat was, in fact, Mark Felt? Washington Post. New York the Times. Neither of those two. Vanity Fair. Oh, no. Wow. Not even kidding guys what all right yeah it's like uh swing and a miss mark felt uh uh, i'm deep throat i leaked uh, to the government i'm the one who uh made sure that richard nixon was uh you know forced to resign uh also uh 10 do's and don'ts in the bedroom to please your man (laughs) the spring catalog for bikinis you know it says deep throat a lot over this but i don't understand which one's mark felt But, oh, here it is. Yeah, <laughs> 2005 and an issue of uh, I'm the guy they called Deep Throw with a good picture of him. Handsome wow, guy there. That yeah. guy's a model. Yeah, looks like uh, looks a little bit like Bob Barker almost. He could tell me to spay and neuter my pets. The price is wrong, bitch. Um, looks like Grandpa Morty. A little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's a 2005 issue of Vanity Fair. The attorney acting on behalf of the now dementia-stricken Mark Felt will announce in the magazine that Felt was the guy they used to call Deep Throat. Woodward and Bernstein honoring their agreement, protecting their sources, having a little integrity in journalism. So all you hack journalists out there can maybe pay a little bit of attention to what a real job looks like. Okay, they confirmed the information to be true only after Felt announced it as part of their agreement. In 2008, at age 95, Mark Felt will die of heart failure. His legacy is a complicated one. To some, he egged on a media witch hunt that resulted in terrible times for the U.S. foreign and domestic policy, the big stain on America, if you will. Um, And then to other people, uh, the release of the Nixon tapes, which were secret tapes, again, like we were saying, they seemed to vindicate that Felt was having acted right, that maybe, again, I don't want to go back into Game of Thrones lore too, too much, but Nixon, effective as a leader, but a little bit of a mad king. You know, definitely a guy who's uh, he's got tapes on tapes of tapes. So he was a little parent, just just a little extremely. Yeah. Huge, huge thing with that one. Uh, They seem to vindicate that felt has acted right uh, in 
a sense of morality, but a lot of people do wish, like, well, listen, don't go to the press, go before a grand jury. We do have, there's a checks and balances within the system for you to try to go through the proper channels. But again, all of a sudden, Mark felt, he gets to die of heart failure in 2008. Uncle Paul, I'm going to go ahead and say in 73, if he had gone before the grand jury, he might have had a terrible car accident one day. Yeah, at least. He still would have had heart failure. No, totally, totally legit, (laughs) just way earlier. All that acid. Looks like he died of uh, heart failure. I didn't even know he owned a motorcycle, and how did he get up his ass? <laughs> the uh, coroner's report actually showed that uh, yeah he died on his way off the top of the building. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah he was dead before he hit the ground, folks. So, but yeah, that's a completely uh, weird story on that one, man. We will tackle more of these topics in greater detail for later episodes of American Loser. But we want this one to exist as a primer for a very interesting character in American history that doesn't get his because again, you hear that story, you think Nixon. You think Woodward and Bernstein. Those are the three big, but this guy is the linchpin that made it all work. So, Uncle Paul, is there anything else that we kind of left out about the guys? You know, there's so much to this story. You can go on forever and ever and ever. Just take the list of names and do them. That would take you a lifetime. There's a lot of people that are thought to be, uh, yeah. It gets pretty interesting on that one. Um, But, uh, Chris, did you know anything about this guy before? well, I knew about Deep Throat, and I knew that in 2005, he was like, I'm actually, William Mark Felt is actually Deep Throat. But I didn't know he was, like, <laughs> dementia-riddled. I didn't know, like, any of this. I didn't know how there was a kidnapping involved in this somewhere in time. Oh, yeah. Uh, Holy actually, crap. I'll tell you what. In uh, in 30 seconds or less, I'll, I'll mention it, because uh, uh, one of the women who mm. kind of believes that she's aware of the information. Wife of Attorney General John N. Mitchell, exactly. who had recently resigned mm-hmm. to become a campaign manager. His wife... For which campaign? You want to guess, folks? You want to guess at yeah, home? Give it. Give it. Just any any kind of guess. The Nixon re-election campaign. Um, yes. She was whisked away. She wasn't really kidnapped. Yeah, so, so the security guards were told that uh, any contact with the press or the media, keep it low profile. As yeah, in, They suspended her Twitter account. Um, they, they put one of those dog collars on her, I think. You know, she went over the line. This is bad. You're not too far off. <laughs> they, they saw her uh, at times. She was shown. Uh, she would show up in public with uh, uh, bruises. It looks like she had like some marks on her face and stuff like that. So she was essentially held hostage, uh, but in broad daylight, kind of a thing. They gave her the boots, medium style. Mm. <laughs> I know that reference. <laughs> but anyway, it's uh, as we're wrapping this one up means a lot to us guys uh south beach larry will return we are enjoying our, our time over on Streamyard. uh it gets us to uh, keep a rhythm up here but i gotta say thank you to my uncle paul petruno for coming on in for this one sir i appreciate having you yeah anytime anytime good luck with the cease and desist from cirque du soleil <laughs> 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 try not to get ankle deep in elephant shit if you don't have to all right yeah, it's tough man i got a high watermark right here in my knee <laughs> <laughs> but i think we're gonna go uh, watch uh, the yankee game here and yeah uh, let's get the hell out of yeah, here we'll figure all that one out and of course thank you to mike and ming over to share podcast studio in Eatontown, New Jersey. Thanks to our pal Chris behind the ones and twos today. Thank you so much. Check out Serious Matters NJ, his great band. They're talented. Check them out. They're playing local over here in the Jersey area for right now. But I think you got tour dates coming up eventually, hopefully. We do, most definitely. Now we're talking, man. If you guys want to check me out, uh, it's over at uh, KP Burke on Facebook. That's where I'm posting most of my jokes, stand-up dates, stuff like that. Instagram is at KP Burke Sucks. Uh, Instagram uh, for the American Loser page is at American Loser Podcast. So check that one out. Again, we're putting more and more content over uh, on YouTube. And for you cheapskates 
And I get it, all right? I get it. You don't have all the money. But for just $5 a month, that is the price of one large cup of uh, cold brew over at Dunkin' Donuts. You can help support this show so that I can continue to be here in the studio and give you guys a high-quality uh, podcast that we like to do here. I will always continue to do the research, but I can't control the numbers, all right? I can't do the ones and twos. I can't do the editing that Chris is doing right now. So you guys supporting the show is what helps with that. We do send merch over. I want to say thank you to everybody here. Um, if you cannot afford to pay uh, to help us out with the show, we totally understand that. Just do me a favor. Share the show. Maybe tell a friend about it. Uh, share some of our YouTube stuff that's coming up over here. Hell, come see me live if I'm playing out in your town. Stand-up's starting to come back, guys. It's very important to us here. But uh, a couple of the episodes, what we're going to do now, it's been a year of the Patreon. Thank you to everybody who's contributed to it. Uh, whether you guys were just there for one month or if you've there, been with us since the start, it means a lot. So what we're doing now is that the old episodes, uh, after it comes up to about a year, we're taking those pre those Patreon-exclusive episodes. They're now going to be made available to you over on YouTube. Uh, that's where we're going to put those ones up for right now. We're not going to put them out in the regular feed. So if you want to do that, you got to click on the YouTube. Give me the likes, folks. Give me the likes. Give me the views. That's what we're looking for here. But all that being said, uh, I absolutely love doing the show. LP will be back with me here shortly. Uncle Paul, thank you so much. Chris, thank you so much. Mike and Ming, you guys are all right. And guys, that was Mark Felt. Not bad for a guy nicknamed after a pornography when you can take down the seated, the seated president of the United States. All right. And again, that was Deep Throat, American Loser. American Loser, yes I am. Disenfranchised from everything. I fall up and I fall down An American loser the day I was born